Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent. And this week we're talking about gaming disorders. And I'm delighted to welcome Professor Colin O'Gara, consultant psychiatrist and head of addiction services at St. John God Hospital in Dublin. Professor O'Gara is also UCD clinical professor of medicine and medical specialties in the UCD School of Medicine. Professor O'Gara, you're welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Adrian. Now, can I just start off by asking you, I bumped into you recently at an event and you told me that people are presenting themselves for gaming disorders where you work. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's correct. I mean, it just just to qualify whether they absolutely present themselves or whether it is a collection or a cohesive uh, initiative between the person and the people around them. And mm. in addiction, you know, often it's not. 100% the person themselves. It is often uh, the people around the person who is sick with a particular illness are very concerned and they uh, they encourage or sometimes they are very, I wouldn't say forcefully encouraging, but you know, there can be a lot of distress amongst the, the people around the person and that leads to the person then presenting with us. And typically, I have in my head when you describe it that way, I have in my head, you know, a uh, kind of a, a 17 or 18 year old whose family are worried about him or her. Is that, is that about right? Uh, I'm afraid not. No. Uh, I mean, I would treat people over 18 only. So mm. the picture, I would say typically, yes. If you ask me what would the typical demographic would be, I would start with male as opposed to female. Uh, I would definitely go with young rather than older, but that is not to say that we would not get an older female presenting with, for instance, a mobile game addiction hmm. that has caused significant devastation within the family to the point where we've had to go off and double check the story. We have asked for bank accounts for the in-play features of a particular game to actually corroborate that the person is, is you know, you know with no reason to actually say, look, you're lying. But I mean, it would the, the, the sums of money, we're talking tens of thousands on a particular game, we'd say, look, we really need to cross-check this to make sure uh, this is the case. And this mirrors uh, the case in gambling where, you know, often we don't have any reason to believe that people aren't spending vast amounts of money because that's generally accepted now. But for instance, in if if there are legal cases, for instance, and there is uh, a need for accounting uh, to be part of that, it wouldn't. It would be relatively commonplace for us to have access to people's bank accounts just to see the level of abnormal activities. So um, 
Yeah, so we would see that with gaming now as well. How does somebody spend tens of thousands of euros on a game? Well, that's exactly the question we would have asked. And I mean, you have to, if you're going to help somebody, you need to be able to understand what exactly they have been doing uh, day in, day out with regards to the game. So really people will spend first, the first thing, Adrian, is they have to spend an inordinate amount of time actually gaming. Now, there are international reports of kids in particularly in Asian countries spending huge amounts of time locked away in their bedrooms uh, gaming. Um, Just the, can you can you can you clarify what a huge amount of time is? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, all I can like there's the literature reports that would state up to 12 hours or you know 16, 18 hours a day. Uh, barely, you know, people barely sleeping. In in the cases that we have seen, we would see people pretty much if they're if they're involved in family life, it is you know any if in the case, for instance, of somebody who's working from home, they can get. You know, supposed to be working, but they're spending eight hours a day during the work time. There may be an interlude for where there's contact with the family, and then later on that evening, they're gaming again into the early hours of the morning. So, can I just come back yeah. to a few definitions here? What we're talking about? We're, we're talking about gaming. So, and I appreciate that that means different things to different people. Um, but you're addressing this in a, a clinical or a semi-clinical way what are we talking about are we talking about things like Fortnite? are we talking about things like you know world of warcraft type stuff are we talking about you know first league of legends shooters? Yeah. yeah i mean wh- wh- yeah. what typically are we talking about here the we typically would be the multi uh massively multiplayer online role-playing mm. games or battle games basically are the two major uh types of game that we would encounter mm. but more recently we're looking at mobile uh, games such as lords mobile mm. and often adrian you know we're not expert gamers ourselves we have to go off and educate ourselves on what people are doing and this would mimic the you know as a frontline addiction service the way the drug uh, industry has gone, people uh, would be buying uh, drugs online, uh, synthetic drugs that we wouldn't, we, we, we would have never heard of, you mm. know, these type of drugs, you know, a lot of research chemicals in that. So similarly, there are so many different types of potential game that people can be playing on. Uh, for us as clinicians, it's really to cross-check that, to educate ourselves as best as possible, but then to get on with the, the key medical features, which are, you know, the time spent, the impact on the individual, mm. the impact on the people around the individual, the impact on work, the impact on relationships, uh, and so on, all the classic features of addiction. So a lot of the literature focuses on, you know, the uh, attractiveness, or you could argue the addictiveness of the actual game, uh, similarly to gambling. So if we take, for instance, the slot machine, it has a particular sounds, it has what we call a near miss effect where you almost win mm. it is in a lot of the literature it is argued that a lot of these features are attractive of course to the person to the perhaps 80 percent is a very rough figure of people who will be gaming 85 some will argue maybe 90 percent of people who will have absolutely no problem whatsoever um for the rest of the people these features within the game can cause a spectrum of harm and that would be the, I'd be careful here saying consensus, because I know it's a highly controversial area. Um, but for the European system, 
that has been accepted. So the uh, the biological evidence, so scanning studies, looking at people while they're gaming and doing uh, uh, fMRI studies, looking at their brain function, looking at genetics of individuals, and looking at the psychology of individuals, they would come to the conclusion that these people are fundamentally different to what we would, you know, what what, you, what you'd call a normal gamer. So these people are predisposed to addictive behaviors, and it's the features within the game, such as these, you know, the way the game is structured, uh, similar to, uh, you know, to, to 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 gambling, and the fact that. You know, people can get hooked in. These people are a lot more; uh, they're more likely to get addicted. Mm. And can you give a kind of a scale here of, or some kind of context in terms of numbers? I mean, you you said there eighty five, ninety percent of us have no problem just walking away from a game, the same as most of us would have no problem walking away from. I suppose if we were in somewhere like Las Vegas, most of us have no problem walking away from a slot machine. They're, but a few, a few do. Um, how many people do you think are affected by what is kind of commonly being termed a gaming disorder? Okay, so the uh, a super question, and obviously the answer. Well, it in Ireland, I can't give you the answer because we don't have those. We don't have that data. You would need to set up a you know robust, large scale prevalence survey to get an idea uh, of the kind of level of problems that people are having out there. We need to look abroad to get an idea of what kind of percentages we're talking about. So of the gaming population, I think a, you know, a reasonable uh, figure, that I don't think too many people would argue it, would be somewhere between 4 and 5% of that population running into difficulty. Okay, so that's potentially quite a lot of people when you think of the prevalence of smart guys phone games for example i mean yes everybody has a smartphone probably yes. more than half of those who have a smartphone have downloaded at least once a mobile game so yes. you're you're just very very rough back of the envelope arithmetic you're certainly in thousands if not tens of thousands certainly is, yes is the and I, yeah yeah and and one of the i mean one of the Recent studies looked at the overall uh, prevalence of online gaming, mobile gaming. So on mobile devices, you're looking at towards 70 percent, 69 percent, you know, mm. so of people who actually own those phones. What about so, the, what about the term addiction as it's used? I mean, the, the World Health Organization, I think, has come out in the last 12 months to talk about a disorder, if I'm right, a gaming disorder. Um, yes. But the, the word addiction is used in this conversation as well. And we've used it a few times uh, so far yes. in this podcast. Yes. I, I always feel a little careful and uneasy you, throwing that term into a conversation when we're talking about um, gaming because of the comparisons that can be drawn with you know, gambling where you can lose your house or alcohol where yes. you can you poison your liver or... Um, you know, drugs where you can kill yourself. I mean, you can die from it. Um, where, where, where should a gaming disorder sit on that spectrum? So, to answer the first piece of that, if you look at addiction versus the term disorder, um, addiction a definition, Adrian, I would give you is persistence with the behaviour in the face of adverse consequences, mm. and. 
The disorder is generally used across mental health and psychiatry. It is generally the accepted clinical term for whatever the illness is in behavioral health. I don't see as a clinician a, a difference between uh, disorder and addiction. Now, maybe that's because I'm that's the lingo that we use. Mm. From a scientific point of view, uh, there is no difference. From a clinical point of view, as a clinician working on the front line, there is no difference. But very, uh, you, you've hone, honed in on this question. I think it's a really good one. From the person on the street or the gamer, you know, I think it is an important differentiation because. The word addiction has many connotations and many stigmatizing connotations as well, as you've alluded to. So gambling, you know, huge stigma associated with that because there's so much fear about it. Similarly, alcohol and drug addiction, there are massive consequences there, too. I would argue, you know, that gaming uh, has, of course, it has There's even literature to suggest it has benefits. Um, you yeah, know, I mean, cognition and so yes. sociability. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and, f and for the vast majority of people, uh, I need to need to be careful there. I've said vast. I, I, I maybe rewind and say majority of people. Mm. Again, we don't know the exact figures. It's a pleasurable activity. But, you know, the you know, in a nutshell, at the crux of this conversation, I would highlight to you that, you know, we are a clinical service on the front line we do specialize in what you call process addictions. So these are addictions where there isn't ingestion of a substance. The big one that we would look at would be gambling, but we've also treated other issues. Uh, internet gaming is, is, is a big one, but there are other ones such as overuse of porn, for instance, on mm -hmm. the internet, or actually overuse of social media sites and phones themselves, which are starting to creep in. Mm. Um, I think you have to actually see these cases. I mean, you read about them in Asia or you read about these cases when you, you know, when you look at them on paper, you'll say that's very dramatic, but it's only when you see somebody in the context of Ireland, an Irish person who gives a very honest and clear history of very disordered behavior on gaming that you get an idea of, you kind of sit up and say, okay, you know, this is serious. Now we've been through that process 10 years ago with gambling when the first problems with the mobile phone, when gambling basically went online, mm. we started to see young men coming in with these issues. All I can report to you at this stage, Adrian, is that as a clinic, frontline clinical service, we are beginning to get referrals from GP. Please see this young man who is spending far too much time in his room, uh, you know, um, not interacting with 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 uh, family and peers has isolated way too much time on the computer. So, you then ask the question: Well, doing what? Is it is it a porn issue? Mm. Is it a? Are they working? Are they doing something constructive? Or is it internet gaming? And in some cases, it can be that individuals are you know they're they're on social media platforms and spending too much time on that. But it tends to be. You can get the pure referral of people who are, you know, as you asked at the top, what games are we talking about? So they have a particular game and they're playing on that and that's it. Uh, or it can be a mixture of different, uh, you know, Internet use, such as on on various social media platforms, plus the gaming. Mm. And then, of course, it can get further complicated because the literature, the international literature says that young people tend to have a high rate of what we call comorbidities. So while they're gaming or while they're on devices, they're smoking pot or they're drinking alcohol or they're taking other drugs. So 
again, anecdotally, that would would tie up that you know not everybody who's gaming is is just sipping water, you know. Mm. So there, there there are other facets to this as well. I mean, bringing those other elements into it, then definitely, uh, it definitely brings across an element of actual harm. Uh, but just to take you back to um, the idea of impact and context. So, again, in the same conversation as the things that you mentioned, alcohol, drugs and gambling. I mean, with yeah. gambling, you know, you can do very substantial damage to others around you. The same with drugs, yeah. the same with alcohol. Yeah. You can kill somebody uh, in a car. And again, yes. I just want to I think it's important just to um, to ask this question about whether an addiction or a disorder related to gaming where yes. that sits compared to those others as a, you're right language is important and and the word addict connotates something if we, yes. we, we have meetings where we sit down with other people to say you know we have anonymous meeting to say that I'm an addict to this I'm an addict to that um I'm just wondering again, I'm kind of asking the same question, uh, but but I'm asking no, it in no, a more in a more I'm, pointed yeah. way. Um, yeah. Are we are we loading too much? Are, 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 is it correct to to refer to this behavior in the same family or the same spectrum as those other addictions? OK, um, I'll, I'll answer it firstly from a clinical point of view. The people who I would treat to date for gaming, and I have to admit it's a lot less than say with gambling or mm. with drug, drugs and alcohol, by far the most common presentation would be alcohol. Mm. But the impact on the individual, so we have a family component to our program, it's a 28 day program, residential, um, it, it, you know, is unquestionable. So the impact on the individual when, once they have gone into a, a position of disordered gaming is substantial. and. It is also substantial on the family, but is it to when, the same degree, Adrian, mm-hmm. as as gambling, where you lose hundreds of thousands, or where you're you're getting a cirrhotic liver from drinking? Clearly not, you mm-hmm. know. But I would say the the impact of spending that amount of time on, for instance, relationships, for instance, occupation, um, the personal loss of of you know self esteem and whatever that you have actually allowed yourself. This is how people think they've allowed themselves to get into that situation is substantial. Mm. And it ties in with this concept of do you believe that gaming, internet gaming disorder, as it's called, but gaming disorder could be a shortened version. Do you believe that that is an illness or do you believe that it's something else? Mm. And this, again, is the discussion that we have had 10 years ago around gambling. This is why internet gaming disorder is in a uh, conditions for further study position with the DSM-5, because there is not consensus with that classificatory system that gaming disorder does meet all of the criteria to make it an addiction. Do you, so do, what are do, those? Do you have a view on the question of whether oh, it, is, it, it is an actual illness? I do, because... And I was just going to go on to those criteria, which answers your question as well. What are the criteria to make it an illness? So you need to have a convergence of evidence from different areas. So you need evidence from a biological point of view. So if you do brain scans on individuals who have disordered gaming versus controls, if you look at their genetics, cases versus controls, if you put them into a laboratory and you look at their thinking, cases versus controls, Again, looking at distorted thinking, 
And if you look at the impact that it has had on them versus somebody who's drinking alcohol versus somebody who's who's gambling, if you put all of that together, Adrian, you get what we call a convergence of evidence. Now, ICD-10, sorry, 11, which would be the, the new version, they've convinced themselves that all of those uh, criteria are met and there is a convergence of evidence. DSM-5 are not so sure. So can you um, just, can you just for, for listeners, um, yeah. spell out DSM-5 and... and- Okay, so DSM is the Diagnostics and Statistical Manual, fifth uh, edition, uh, printed in Washington, the US. But basically, it is the uh, classificatory system or the reference guide for psychiatry in the uh, US. All right. And ICD-10 is the International Classificatory System of Diseases, which is the World Health Organization's similar version, which is the European uh, reference manual. So the European manual or the European version has gone ahead and given uh, put gaming disorder uh, into a category of addiction. Now, can, can I just again, ask you about about the effects, about yeah. the, specifically about the effects that it has on the brain? So uh, I'm assuming that there are a lot of different effects that manifest on your brain at different points of what you do during the day I you maybe if you take a high performance athlete for example they may have you know uh, an altered state in their physiognomy and and also in their brain almost to the point of being dangerous right Um, and I'm I'm kind of I'm clutching a little bit at straws here but what I'm trying to (laughs) I'm trying what I'm trying to ask you is is that type of altered state of brain in itself um, evidence of of an illness no it's not because well I mean it's people who spend their lifetime you know dedicating their lifetime to these kind of studies would argue that it is but I mean what we go for is convergence, Adrian, between mm. different strands of evidence. And maybe just to, to flesh out those different classificatory systems, I mean, behind that are years of committees, panels, uh, you know, 10,000 submissions plus from the public, clinicians, from everybody. And all these various committees and panels need to sit down and look at the evidence. So one of the forms of evidence would be uh, scanning studies, which would look at, you know, they're very controlled studies. So you'd be mm. looking at, a, a, a you know, a, a problem gamer versus a control gamer. And you'd be looking at what, you know, simply what areas of the brain light up versus others. And, and what are those again, areas to a layperson? Well, you'd be looking, you'd be looking at uh, certain deficiencies or certain abnormalities in areas where, you know, very rich in dopamine called the orbital frontal cortices. Mm. So there, there's, there, there are kind of smoking guns with regards to addiction. Uh, if you see issues within those areas, Adrian, what you, you, you then go and pull out the evidence for, say, gambling or for alcohol or for drugs and say, is it similar? So and in other words, it's making you feel too good. Yes, I mean, there would be risk processing issues. So if you uh, are at a stage where you, uh, you know, you want to persist with a particular game and you want to get onto the next level, this Mm. is the idea of grinding. You can actually pay to skip on those levels. Mm -hmm. All right. And some individuals, the if they have uh, 
abnormalities in, in dopamine-rich areas in the orb of, orbit of frontal cortices, they are more likely to say, oh, to hell with it, I'm going on. Oh, but you've already spent hundreds of euros today on this. Mm. I don't care. I'm going on. I'm doing it. So it, it, as well it, as... Yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, as well as that, there's also a big competition piece. So it's not just deficiencies in this part of the brain. Obviously, it's multifactorial and you need other components that come together in the mix to give you a problem gamer, just mm. like you have a problem gambler. One of, the, one of those things would be a competitiveness, you know, a, a determination, a mm. stubbornness almost to keep going. And these are the kind of people, you know, in a group of people, either gaming or gambling, they'd say, look, come on, we need to move on. They'd I mean, say, no, I mean, no, I was, no, yeah, I was, when you mentioned those word terms, I was just going, to, I was thinking of other categories of people as, uh, as well. And, and this is an odd comparison to draw, but when I write a lot about startups and founders and entrepreneurs, and one yep. of the common traits that they all talk about and all of the consultants and the experts and the gurus when, when they're lauding these guys is exactly those things is their stubbornness is their grit is their unwillingness to yes. let something go and yes. indeed um their a certain a certain competitive instinct and a certain amount of you know um blinkered uh blinkeredness yes. and yes. I, I i don't in any way want to, to trivialize or to try and draw an, an exact analogy between the two but i'm just what i'm getting at here is um there are, I can see some people sitting back and thinking to themselves, hang on a second, a gaming disorder, uh, you know, an addiction. Uh, isn't this just kind of an American, an imported American thing to try and make everything a disorder? And maybe there isn't that big a deal. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's yeah. more of a, uh, you know, a much milder thing. And maybe it's, it's a little bit more like being obsessed with something um, for a while. So first is in the outpatient setting, many people don't want to come into hospital. They don't want to do residential treatment. So the first thing is to look at somebody from an outpatient point of view and see mm. what kind of help that you can uh, give at that level. So that would entail a person going home after they've seen you. It would mean that they're not giving away, you know, not having to uh, look at their diary and say, I'm going to go away for 28 days. Again, the way we'd look at it, number one, is biological. So how can we help someone from a biological point of view? The first thing that springs to mind is medication. There are medications that have been trialed in gaming disorder, particularly severe gaming disorder. Mm -hmm. Now, again, you have to make sure that you've got the diagnosis right there and the severity right. You're not going to prescribe medication for somebody unless you're convinced that they're suffering from this particular disorder. And can you give me so, an example of some of that medication? Absolutely. So one is an opioid blocker. So this, there are different types of medication. It's, it's, it, the technical term is it's called an antagonist. So it blocks a particular receptor. Mm -hmm. So the opioid receptor is a target in gambling addiction, but also gaming disorder. And these medications have been tried. They're not fully licensed in that uh, condition. It takes uh, quite a long period of time for med medicines to be licensed. Yeah. But also uh, in particular areas, there may not be a particular license for a medication. Um, you know, for instance, anti-epileptic medication might be used in psychiatry. So there, you know, they may be epilepsy medications being used in another area. So that's quite common mm -hmm. in medicine. So, but the, the, the opioid blocker works by, uh, again, if we go back to the orbitofrontal cortices, there's dopamine rich pathways in there that these medications by blocking the opioid system, you're blocking your internal endogenous opioid system. So that would be the height of anticipation of actually gaming, but also any of the 
high sensations that come from gaming itself mm. but it also indirectly affects the dopamine system which is another key system in the um you know the genesis of any of the highs that you get or any of the rewarding effects from so you're, you're literally you're literally killing the buzz <laughs> sorry i don't yeah, well, to make well, light of well, it well no 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 absolutely no i mean the problem adrian is is that um these medications have modest effects. Mm. I mean, the the we again we'd have to look outside of gaming more at alcohol. So these drugs have been used in alcohol uh, treatment as well, and you know large randomized controlled trials, systematic reviews, meta analysis. So yep. you know you're talking maybe forty thousand subjects. Now they are pooled, so all the studies are pooled together. But the what we call the number needed to treat here is about eight or nine. So you'd need to treat eight or nine people to get an effect. Mm. So it is mod, you know, it's moderate or modest. It's not a silver bullet. If it was mm. a sil- silver bullet, it would, um, you know, it, it would be a lot more. We'd we'd hear more about it. So it's I mean, still medication is a funny thing. I've um, I, once in my life, I I had to take a bit of medication, not totally dissimilar to that, and I found it had quite a dulling effect in general. I, it, it did what it was supposed to do. But I've read yeah. interesting first-hand accounts from others in a creative uh, space, particularly there's one famous or uh, famous case of a UK graphic novelist who was suffering yes. very badly from bipolar, but he was a brilliant graphic novelist and he took yes. medication for that and it worked, yes. but he lost <laughs> an awful yes. lot of his creativity. So his yes. wife, who um, had was the person pushing him to address the uh, the issue, was faced yes. with a difficulty, have a brilliant, um, a partner who is brilliant at his job yes. or, or easy to live with, <laughs> you know? Um, well, we face this, I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I obviously treat bipolar affective mm-hmm. disorder as well. And that is a very common phenomenon that, you know, people that you've known for many years, you've built up a very good therapeutic relationship with. And, you know, it's well publicized as well. I think Stephen Fry has talked about this in the past as well, that, you know, and a lot of artists do suffer from bipolar affective mm. disorder um, that, you know, that that you, you this is the dilemma that you have, you know, with regards to getting somebody's mood right, mm. uh, right in inverted commas. It might be right, feel right for them. So but in, in the case of gaming, uh, these medications, Adrian, wouldn't wouldn't. Uh, they wouldn't dull like that. I mean, the only effect mm. they would have is really uh, on cravings. And that's the idea is that, you know, craving for further gaming or craving for a drug or, or alcohol, that it would dampen that down. And again, mm. the effect is, is modest. Just before I, I just move off the biological, if I could mm. mention one thing just on, again, it's, it's related to the biological nature of, of addiction. And I know, some of your listeners will um, be scratching their heads going out, you know, uh, we're stretching it here or it's being stretched on to, you know, this, this co- the concept of addiction. This was similarly applied to gambling um, many years ago when, you know, people were saying, oh, come on, you know, excess gambling is just excess gambling. It's a habit. It's mm. not like alcohol or drug addiction. And I'm in still Oregon here and I was getting referrals from local hospi- hospitals from neurology departments from uh, individuals who were being treated for Parkinson's disease. Now, Parkinson's disease is a disease of the dopamine system. And in Parkinson's disease, you get an under 
uh, state of dopamine. So you don't have enough dopamine being produced in certain areas of the brain. So you give a drug called a dopamine agonist, mm. which is the opposite of antagonist, the blocker. It actually promotes dopamine production. And what we were getting was, please see this gentleman, uh, dear doctor, please see this gentleman who has developed, who's never gambled before, and uh, now is gambling in a very harmful and excessive way. Mm. Um, so we, we went, whoa, what's this about? And after getting a number of them, we checked the literature and saw that there was this association between somebody who never had a problem with compulsive behavior after being prescribed a dopamine agonist, which affects these areas in the brain that I've been talking about, the orbital frontal cortices, etc. These people develop a compulsive behavior like pathological gambling. Mm-hmm. Now, the people in that particular age group who would develop Parkinson's disease wouldn't be gaming, uh, but you know, so that didn't fare. But I mean, any of the compulsive be- behaviors in there, you know, excessive shopping was sometimes reported, or sexual behavior was uh, excessive mm-hmm. sexual behavior was reported. So that was you know, a very, very strong indicator of the biological or the brain illness mm. that can, you know, you affect, you, you, you meddle with the dopamine system and this is what comes about. And this is absolutely no, you know, people who have had not had an issue with gambling before they had this problem. So, mm. you know, that is generally taken as a, you know, a clear indication of the biological basis of addiction and one that's irrefutable, actually, because how else, you know, could these people end up with a process addiction like that? And I would just argue that gaming addiction, you know, is, you know, it is it is coming under that umbrella of process addictions. It's clearly an attractive behavior. It's clearly one that appeals psychologically in very similar ways to gambling. And, um, you know, you've asked me, like, my opinion on on you know, do, do I feel it exists in that? To me, there's no doubt when you look at that end of the, you know, the biological end or the evidence, the biological evidence for it. A lot of uh, American commentators, this is much more squarely in the political field rather than the medical one, but a lot of American commentators are, are constantly trying to make a link between gaming and um, violent gaming and gun violence in the US. Okay, it, yeah. it, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's consistently... Uh, a response now if that's more of a political thing but from a medical perspective is 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 there anything to that i don't know yeah. is a straight answer it's yeah. not something that i deal with it's mm. thank god it's not something that i that that you know yeah. that we have to deal with here because we don't have that culture mm. but you know again the i mean the the ratings and gaming on ga- on games has come up in discussion um you know, it's I guess it's something a little bit removed from what we're doing here, Adrian. Yeah. Yeah. Um, finally, I, I am conscious of somewhat of an irony that in 2019 in Ireland, um, we have actually a number of professional e-sports players now uh, in Ireland. There's one guy, Jordan Crowley, who earned almost two hundred fifty thousand dollars in 2018. There was a guy, a, a, t- a Dublin teenager, uh, Joshua Giuliano. Um, a couple of months ago, actually won fifty thousand dollars from the uh, the Fortnite World Cup in New York. The uh, the winner of that competition, by the way, a sixteen year old won three million dollars. So it's yeah. kind of an interesting time for this. I, I suppose if there is going to be um, a problem, it's 
we're going to start seeing it more now because the infrastructure, it's not just, this isn't just a pastime like, you know, when I was a very young kid, you know, Pac-Man or any of those arcade yeah, games. Yeah, me too, yeah. This, yeah. Is, this is now... This yeah, it's is, a different ball game. Well, it, but but it is actually a professional ball game. Well, without you know? a shadow of a doubt, more people watched the final of League of Legends in the US. It was well over two hundred million than the NBA basketball finals. Incredible. A little, just just a small anecdote. I mean, I was in a in a uh, uh, shopping center in the center of town, and I was just approaching um, what I thought was a sports shop and what I thought were GA jerseys, but it subsequently turned out to be an esports jersey on the front of the shop hmm. so i went uh, unbelievable it happened to be a, a gaming shop but there was a jersey in the front hmm. or several jerseys so yeah i mean again this is something that we we would have had to educate ourselves on as frontline clinicians in the area of addiction and say well hang on a second what is esports what hmm. what does that mean what's it all about and then you go look it up and you see the uh, the guardian did an excellent piece on it a few years back you know, just on on the the, the the scale of it and the how it mimics uh, well, if real sports is, is is the correct term, but the podiums afterwards, the raising of the cup, the fireworks, the jerseys on. I mean, it it would look like say a GA or a rugby uh, presentation, but mm-hmm. if you look closer, you see some of the guys are wearing glasses and some of them are. You know they've closed underneath the jerseys and that, so it it just you know so it's 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 phenomenal. I mean it is it is absolutely phenomenal, and that that part of it, I would have to say we always believe as clinicians that if you see an increase in prevalence of something, you're going to see an increase in end harm. So if if there's an increase in in overall non-harmful drinking, you're going to see an end rate increase in cirrhotic liver disease. So if there's more availability of something, you you are going to see an increase in end harm. So and again, the literature would support that. With the upswing in 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 the interest in gaming, there is an increase in the uh, you know the amount of individuals that are becoming very compulsively attached to the behaviours. So, I think we'll just have to watch this space, see what happens. But at the moment, uh, it does look like referrals are increasing for this this particular problem. Well, Professor Colin O'Gara, consultant psychiatrist and the head of addiction services at St. John of God's Hospital in Storg in Dublin, thank you very much um, for a very, very interesting exposition there on uh, the Big Tech Show. And Great that, to talk to you, Adrian. Thanks. And that is all we have time for this week. Uh, from me, Adrian Wecker, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent, thank you once again for listening, and I'll talk to you again next week.